uh, offerings. A couple weeks ago on a midweek service, uh, we heard about the altars. And I, I think something interesting is that we're all very familiar with the altar here. I think we could agree. We're all very familiar with what happens down here at the end of a service or in the middle of a worship service or at whatever point you feel that you've come under conviction and you make your way to this altar. And there were altars in the Old Testament, but I think it's interesting to know what was offered on the altars. So we're going to just really quickly, we're going to run through the five primary sacrificial offerings or five primary offerings of the Old Testament according to the Mosaic law and enforced by the Levitical law. The first offering is called the sin offering or shatah, often called the purification sacrifice or purification offering as this offering or sacrifice not only covered moral sins, uh, but it also covered ritual impurity, stuff that you accumulated by simply being a human being. It didn't matter if you followed every law, every rule to the T. You still incurred this residual sin just by existing. And we see that in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. I have a couple scriptures here. I'm going to ask for volunteers. If I could have somebody find Leviticus chapter 5, verse 1 through 13. Someone find Leviticus chapter 6, 24 through 30. Leviticus chapter 8, 14 through 17. We'll forego the last one just to save on time. Uh, but this sacrifice was mandatory, and it shared a lot of elements of other offerings. Sometimes in Scripture, in the Old Testament, especially if you've read the Levitical and Mosaic Law, um, I always t I, I tease and I say, if you want to go to sleep ASAP, all you got to do is read Leviticus, and you will, be, you will be counting the sheep that they sacrificed in no time at all. Uh, but they were, sometimes it's difficult to, to determine the differences, and so I hope we can clear that up a little bit for you. Um, the... The, the sin offering or the purification offering shared a lot of elements of the burnt offering and the peace offering, but it was still distinctly different. Um, one of the distinct differences between a sin offering and a burnt offering is this. A burnt offering was something that was done voluntarily. A sin offering was something that was mandated according to Mosaic law. It had to be performed on a constant basis in order to, there was one that was performed for the entire nation, and it was to push back all sins. I think we actually just recently heard about this, but this, this, uh, this sacrifice was performed to push back the sins of the entire nation, but these were also performed on an individual level uh, in order to perform restitution for sins. And at its core, the sin offering was intended to cover sin and impurity of fallen humanity. Uh, one of the uh, an instance of a sin offering that's really prolific in the Old Testament is in Second Chronicles when Hezekiah comes in and he gets a revelation and he they've uncovered the 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 scriptures the scrolls the Old Testament law had been lost for something like sixty seventy eighty years a vast period of time that they'd been in operation without even being able to read the word and he's finally able to find the word and. He sacrifices, um, he calls for a, a, a special 
sacrificial offering to be made, and it was seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven he-goats that he called to be sacrificed. Uh, whoever has Leviticus chapter 5, uh, verse 1 through 13, if you could read. So you can see how complex the offerings are because actually right in that portion of Scripture, uh, you see all three different types of atonement offerings. And even some of them, all three of them, uh, in some instances in the same se uh, se sentence, uh, they're saying sin offering and then guilt offering and then burnt offering. So those are actually the three different types of atonements. Um, a guilt offering or a trespass offering, as it is sometimes called, is often considered a subcategory of a sin offering, but it is uh, also distinctly different. A guilt offering or trespass offering is often, uh, I've actually, I'm sorry, I just said that. It was uh, in place to cover sins that were, in fact, never brought to light. So in that particular portion of reading, we heard that if an individual encountered something that was dead, which you weren't, you weren't allowed to, to touch the carcass of, uh, of unclean dead animals. Um, if, you, if you touched it and you didn't realize it, or if you were in the process of doing something, and in doing so you committed a sin but weren't aware of it, this is where a guilt offering comes into play. Um, or another instance of a guilt offering is when you do something and nobody knows, but on down the line... You begin to feel guilt, shame, remorse. You can then offer a guilt offering, which is technically a subcategory of a sin offering. Uh, and it is also referred to as a reparation offering. And the reason these get so complex is because there's like 20 different names for each offering. I don't know why we can't just... See. I, it's the way that the, 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 the words are interpreted from the Hebrew to the English there's a lot of different names that are applied, and then theologians come behind them and create even more names. Um, but the sin offering, the shatah, and the guilt offering is the asham, also known as the ashamat. Um, this offering specifically called for the sacrificing of a ram and a monetor, uh, monetary donation uh, to the Levitical priesthood. Pastor, he's going to dig this one a whole lot. So if you did something and nobody knew about it, but eventually on down the line you started to feel some guilt, you started to feel remorse, and you said, I have to make this right with God. So you come to the priest, you say, I have this ram, I want, and a guilt offering had, uh, specifically had to be a ram. I ha I've brought this ram, I feel guilty uh, regarding a particular sin. You also had to bring... In, mon in, in silver, had to be in silver, a fifth of that ram's worth. 20% of the ram's worth you had to bring in silver, and that was an offering that went towards the Levitical priesthood. That's how they made their cheddar. Anytime someone was guilty, 20%. Now, we can't make it official here, but I'm just saying. If you feel guilty... 
I don't know, Brother Ham, how much is a ram worth today? How much do you think you could buy a goat for? For a Oh, <laughs> mm. hallelujah. So 20%. Mm. That sounded juicy. What, what, what about one with high pedigree? <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you that for your guilt, we only accept the highest pedigreed rams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by a raising of hands. No, just. <laughs> oh man, I believe I asked someone to read Leviticus chapter six, twenty-four through thirty. If you had that, could you read that for me real quick? So we can see there's also very specific ways, and not only that, the um, what had to be burned specifically, what type of animal how it was to be burned, where it was to be burned, what was to happen to the remnants. In a lot of cases, uh, there had to be specific garments that had to be worn when sacrificing animals. Uh, blood had to be sprinkled in very specific ways on certain parts, parts of the altar. Uh, there was uh, skins in some uh, pertaining to some offerings had to be taken, and when the animal was skinned, those skins went to the Levitical priesthood. So we see the, the, we can, you see how close the sin offering and the guilt offering are, um, but they serve two distinct purposes. Um, the guilt offering we see in Numbers chapter 6 is actually a means uh, for Nazarites, uh, those who have taken a Nazarite vow, to rededicate themselves. So in, the, this is uh, one of the few areas where the guilt offering uh, came into play in, in uh, an instance where someone could do something even intentionally. For the general populace, a guilt offering was only for something uh, that you had done intentionally and got away with or that you had unintentionally done. But in this particular situation, when, when re uh, in regards to Nazarites, it was regardless of what they had done, whatever sin, they, they had incurred or if it was a standard sin or if it was something that violated their Nazarite vows, they would have to make a standard sin offering and then they would also have to make a guilt offering in order to rededicate themselves to the Lord. The third atonement is the burnt offering or the Allah. And it has a really interesting meaning. It literally means an offering of ascent. Uh, and it is a voluntary offering. It is the only atonement offering that is voluntary. The other two are mandatory. The, uh, it, it was used as a symbol of gratitude or when you were in awe or in a moment of... So, so say, for example, you had encountered God face to face. We see this many times where individuals encounter God. They have a vision. They have a dream. They, In some cases, they walk, talk, interact, break bread with a theophany. Many times in Scripture, they would immediately, after that incident, erect 
an altar, and they would offer burnt sacrifices on this altar. Uh, it is kind of debated. The first actual offering that we see doesn't occur in Genesis chapter four. Uh, in regard, uh, when when talking about Cain and Abel and their sacrifices, but what is often considered to be the first official uh, burnt offering, according to the law, would actually be in Genesis chapter eight, when Noah lands and the ark is opened, and he offers it's a, he offered many burnt sacrifices as the scripture he offered a multiplicity of sacrifices on this altar, and it said that the, the, the smell of it went up to the, to the Lord, and it was a sweet savor. And the Lord said, never again will I curse man. with wa- Never again will I flood the earth. Uh, and he, it was at that time, that very next scripture, that he sets a bow in the sky, and that is a, a covenant. A covenant to be made with man. A burnt offering was to be a sacrificed bull, a sheep, a goat, a dove, or pigeon. And was to be left to smolder all night. In other words, it had to burn throughout the night. Didn't matter at what point of the day it started. It would have to burn continuously. Say it was started, say that sacrifice was offered at the beginning of the day. It would have to burn all through the day. And it would literally be left to burn all through the night until it was completely disintegrated into ash. Um, Although voluntary, it is still an offering of atonement. And some of the instances, um, if I could have one reader, let's, if we could read Leviticus chapter 6, verse 8 through 13, please. If I could have a reader. Leviticus chapter 6, 8 through 13. we see it was intentionally designed to be something similar to what we might call in modern vernacular like an eternal flame. Next we'll jump into free will offerings. So these are slightly different from atonements. The first free will offering is the grain offering. It's or in Hebrew, the mintka. This voluntarily, uh, voluntary excuse me, offering must consist of ground, cooked, or uncooked wheat or barley. I, I apologize, there's a misspelling there. I said what or barley. <laughs> that is wheat. Wheat or barley. The cool thing about this, uh, a grain offering, is that uh, the, uh, where in a lot of instances, the scripture is very, very, very specific about how something is to be f- performed. In the, in the example of the burnt offering like we just heard, uh, the individual sacrificing had to wear very specific, write down not only their, their priestly outer garments, but also very specific undergarments. Do you think this, 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 could, this could preach? If you think uh, uh, apostolic standards are too tight, wait till somebody's picking your chonies for you. He's getting, my brothers, they didn't have an option. It wasn't Hanes or Fruit of the Loom. It was 
linen undergarments. And they probably had some marine drill sergeant out there pressing it for them, like a bunch of starch. Super uncomfortable. Grain offerings. The, the nice thing about it is that where a lot of the offerings were very specific, the grain offering gave you a lot of leeway. Um, you, it, was, it was intended to be from the heart. And it gave you the ability to express your love, your gratitude, and your submission to God. Uh, they gave you, they, they were specific in what had to be sacrificed, but how it could be sacrificed, they gave you many options. It could be cooked, it could be uncooked. It, it could, um, if you ground it, you, all you had to do was put a little salt in there and it was good to go. And they gave, it, it was intended to be uh, kind of ambiguous in that nature in order to show genuine worship and praise to God, specifically for divine provision. And this, this sac- particular sacrifice, this particular offering is so important because the Israelites were surrounded on all sides by pagans who worshipped a very specific deity known as Baal. And uh, Baal, in, in uh, that particular uh, religious sect, um, Baal was considered to be the god of the harvest, which is very interesting because the Lord is also the god of the harvest. He's the true god of the harvest, if you will. Uh, and so it was, it was very important for Israel to recognize that. And a lot of times when uh, the, the Israelites would begin to stray and go towards false gods, something that you would see very quickly fall off the map, uh, according to historians, would be grain offerings. That was one of the first things to go, simply because it wasn't important. There was no genuine worship. There was no genuine praise. They had found the new god of the harvest, if you will. Now, this is very important for us as Christians. Something that will go first and foremost when we begin to falter is worship. If your worship is locked up, if your worship is tight, if you're experiencing an inability to freely praise and magnify God in His house, that's a sign that something is creeping into your life and attempting to destroy you. Because atonement required blood, uh, the grain offering served this entirely different purpose which was genuine worship and praise to God for divine provision. It's often also called a gift or a meal or an ordination offering. Those are terms um, that are used for this specific oblation a lot of times by theologians. If, uh, does it, would, it, would anybody care to read for me Leviticus chapter 2? Verse 1 through 14, thank you for all of our readers, and I appreciate you. I know it's a lot of reading, but the only way to fully comprehend the magnitude of Levitical and Mosaic law is to actually read it. Why I expressed to you, there was quite a bit of, uh, uh, of latitude that was allowed to the children of Israel to select precisely how they would like to make this particular offering. And it was designed with that purpose in mind to allow them 
to express their love and their genuine worship to God. The final offering is the peace offering. Shalem, not to be confused with shalom. There are many sub-variations of this particular offering, including the wave offering, the thanksgiving offering, and the drink offering, otherwise known as libations. Uh, these free will offerings were often also referred to as slaughter offerings or fellowship offerings. Its three main purposes were as follows. To thank God for protection or deliverance. If you came through a time or a season uh, where you were just, you knew there was no way that you made it through except for by the hand of God. That would be an instance where you would immediately arrive at the temple or arrive at the tabernacle and offer a peace offering, which in that particular instance could be titled as a thanksgiving offering. You know, sometimes we, we, I, I hear it only amongst our elders, really. Um, and when I, when I say elders, I'm referring specifically to maybe one or two people. That I'm always in awe. I, I'll actually, I'll just point the individual out. It's Brother John. He does this quite frequently. When he comes to the altar, a lot of people come to the altar asking for something. You know, healing. And that's good. That's what we come here for. We, we come with expectation that the Lord is going to provide for us. He's going to come through in a miraculous way. But oftentimes, Brother John, he'll come down to the altar and I'll hear him say to Pastor or he'll say to myself, I just want to thank the Lord for this. I just want to thank the Lord for this particular instance. And that is always stunning to me because I think a lot of times we as Christians completely forget that, you know, this altar just becomes a, a, a place where we show up and we look like a bunch of seagulls at the theme park. Like, mine, 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 mine. Like, like and, and people are throwing like chunks of bread and sardines at, you know, and God, you know, oh, mine, mine. And we're like jumping over each other. Feathers are flying. Not today. That's my miracle. Mine, 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 mine. When this is a place, this, this should also be a place where you can come and you can just thank the Lord. God, I'm thankful for what you've done for me. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for coming through for me. I know it's you, God. There was no other way that that situation could have been worked out. There is no other way. You get into the grocery line and you've got no money. And somehow, boom, your groceries get paid for best be at the altar next this coming Sunday like <laughs> because we have to offer a thanksgiving offering this is not just a place where you, where you come and ask the Lord for things this is also a place where you come and offer things say Lord I want to send something up as a that's why it's so fantastic when the worship starts going it's totally fine if you come up here and you entertain the presence of the Lord right here at the altar because you're offering up incense to him. I'm not saying you can't worship genuinely in your pew. I'm just saying, hey, if you radical about it, there's no problem with you coming up here and expressing it. Because you're offering up sweet incense to the Lord at the altar. The 
The second purpose of the peace offering uh, was to accompany a spiritual or a physical vow. And this could come in in many different forms. Uh, We see it oftentimes in the Old Testament in the form of covenants. So sometimes when a government, uh, excuse me, a government, (laughs) a covenant was enacted, this, and this is where it can become difficult because offerings cert, uh, and certain sacrifices share a lot of characteristics and a lot of traits. Sometimes when a covenant was performed, what was, what was called a burnt offering could also classify very easily as a peace offering. And sometimes the words you'll see in the Hebrew, the word shalem and the words olah are used somewhat interchangeably because to some extent they could be the same thing, uh, or one offering could serve multiple purposes simultaneously. And a lot of times when a covenant was made, not necessarily even just, uh, not even necessarily a covenant between God and man, but also covenants between men and men. When those covenants were, were made, oftentimes they would be accompanied by a peace offering. And in this particular case, it could be called a fellowship offering, but in the Hebrew, the same word was used, shalem. They would also be performed in instances like weddings, sometimes even at funerals. The way a Hebrew funeral looked is considerably different from the way uh, our Western funerals looked. And this is for a few very specific purposes. It's kind of difficult to have a funeral the American way when you can't be near a dead body. So the way their ceremonies were performed were considerably different from what we consider to be a a funeral today. But oftentimes during these occasions, offerings of the shalem variety would be offered. And finally, the peace offering was used as a general thanks to God for him simply being who he is. And that's why I go back to Brother John. I want to tell him thank you. That's always inspiring to me. And it's always convicting to me because I get in that same routine, you know, just come and ask. And we're like I said at the very beginning, we're very familiar with the altar. But are we familiar with the sacrifices that are laid on that altar? And sometimes there is it's a time to offer a sin offering and ask the Lord, Lord, please forgive me. And and sometimes it's a time to offer a a guilt offering and and say, Lord, I've done this and nobody knows about it. I need you to cleanse me. And and sometimes you just want to offer a a burnt offering. You've communed with the Lord. And this is a landmark. Oftentimes those altars that were used would be left as landmarks for people to see for generations and generations and generations, hundreds of years. The children of those individuals could look back and say, My forefather offered a burnt offering right there because he had a divine visitation from the Lord. Or, hey, my forefather, they they offered a sacrifice right here, a Thanksgiving sacrifice, because the Lord carried them out of Egypt, or the Lord carried them out of bondage, or the Lord provided for them when there was no other way. Sometimes it's a good time just to offer a grain offering. Just thank the Lord for his provision. 
I, I, I saw a really interesting statement I want to share with you. And it convicted me, and it's changed the way I pray every morning. It sincerely has, because it was so shocking. The, the little quote just went like this. What if when you woke up tomorrow morning, you only had what you had thanked God for the day before? And I was like, man. I'd be... <laughs> Things would be looking real bad. You could tell you'd wake up Job real quick. I mean, you wake up Job real quick. No crib, no fam, no whip, no money in the bank, no food in your belly. You got boils from head to toe. <laughs> what if you what if you woke up and you only had what you had thanked God for the previous day? Sometimes it's just a good, and that's why I want to really emphasize the free will offerings. A lot of times we only meditate and we only think on the atonements. You know, Lord, forgive me, or Lord, I need this. But I think it needs to become a part of our everyday prayer life and our everyday walk. We as seasoned saints of God. The free will offering mentality needs to become ingrained in our very psyche, in who we are as Christians. Lord, I just want to praise you. I just want to offer this up to you just because you've been good. Because your provision is good. Because you've brought me through. Lord, I'm doing this in Jesus' name, and because of it, I want to offer some praise to you. I feel when we can begin to activate the free will offering aspect of the Mosaic Law, we can unleash some genuine power in our lives. I recognize that the, 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 just how intensive and how uh, awe-inspiring and how captivating atonement sacrifices are for several reasons. Well, we're captivated by how gruesome and how brutal and how... Uh, Almost savage sacrifices feel. I don't know about you, but as a 21st century Westerner, I personally have never sacrificed anything upon an altar. And the concept of that is really awe-inspiring. You know, it's, 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 it seems almost like savage, primitive. And so that's easy for our mind to, to latch onto. But the ultimate atonement has already been made. The ultimate sacrifice has already been laid on the altar. And we're drawing very close to the memorial and the recognition of that sacrifice. So doesn't it make sense that the mass majority of, of our attentions should be turned to the free will offerings? The stuff that we just offer, Lord, just because you're good. But I think that's something we tend to overlook. And we tend to just graze past. But if we will activate, and I can only say this so many times, so many different ways. But if we will activate the concept of minka, grain offerings, and the concept of shalem, peace offerings, or thanksgiving offerings. And we'll activate that in our life. We'll see unprecedented personal revival, unprecedented community revival, unprecedented Holy Ghost outpouring. Because when you begin to do, this is how the mind works. If you just start constantly playing this through your head, if you're just saying, hey, thank you, Jesus, for this, or thank you, Jesus, for that, it's going to do a couple big things. It's going to begin to increase your faith. Because you're just used to thanking God for, and it's not until you start thanking God for all these things that you realize how much he's given to you. 
I, I, in my morning prayer, I started going through this. I was like, man, thank you, Lord, for, thank you, Lord, for my job. Thank you for the opportunity to come to your house. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my wife, my children. Thank you for this house that keep, you know. It's not until you start doing that, until you start verbalizing it, that you realize how much God has given to you. And it's a faith builder. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, God gave me that. Now he can give me that, no problem. He kept you off the streets. He can heal a head cold, no problem. If you'll activate, if you'll activate these sacrifices on a daily basis, you wake up and before you ask the Lord for anything, sometimes in personal prayer we get like this. You jump straight in. You got these prayer requests and that's all good. But the Lord, he even instructs us in the Lord's prayer. Does anybody know how it starts? Who art in heaven. What is it? Hallowed be thy name. Starts off with just raw, Lord, not asking anything from you. You're just awesome. If you start each morning with free will offerings, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's a grain offering. Lord, thank you for your provision. And, you, you're, you know, you're asking, how can I give an offering when we, we, we don't practice these raw offerings anymore? These, these sacrifices of animals or grain. The worship comes in many forms. You can vocalize it. You can offer an offering through your witness, through your attitude, through your finances. It becomes, a, it becomes an integral aspect of every part of your life. It's not just something, you know, you can just take this and you, and you sacrifice it. We've, we have taken on the name of Jesus Christ. And so every aspect of our life is now subject to sacrifice. And I feel like the two biggest inhibitors of the church are these. We fail to activate the concepts, not even just doing it. We just graze past the actual concepts of free will offerings. We don't acknowledge their power. And then secondly, we don't actually activate them by fulfilling them. Uh, you know, I gave the, the, it was a silly analogy about the strawberries, but it's so true. I, I told everybody how Vivian just is, loves these strawberries. You know, she's obsessed with them, and she wanted to start giving my dad strawberries, and he thought that was the greatest thing ever. And before she knew it, there was no more strawberries on her tray, except maybe one or two. And then she got really stingy and pulled them in, didn't want to share anymore. She didn't realize all he had to do was go to the fridge and get out more strawberries and or if he was all out there, you, man, you can just drive down to Walmart and buy out all the strawberries. More strawberries than she could ever eat this year. He has the ability to give right then and there. And sometimes we, I think we get stingy. Oh, Lord, no, you can't. Yeah. I want to give you this, but you can't encroach on this. Uh, I'll give you thanks for this, but don't encroach on this. I don't think you could replenish that quite as quick. You don't know how hard I worked for that, Lord. You, you don't know how much time and effort went into that, Lord. I, there needs to be a release where you just say, where we really, I know we all say it, but when we really believe it, that all this stuff is the Lord's, and we can all just chill out, kick back and sip on a sweet tea because the Lord's going to work it out. I'm not telling you to, to just be 
uh, completely idiotic in the way that you deal with your goods and your resources. The Lord wants us to be a good steward. But there's no reason to fret. There's no reason to fear. There's no reason to stress out. He's got it handled. If we'll just activate, Lord, thank you. I want to thank you because I know you've provided. And as much as I can give to you, I know you'll replenish that and ten times more. Uh, I, I'm want, I want to conclude. If you all just stand with me, let's pray together. I apologize I went a little longer. Thank you for bearing with me. But I hope this is ministered to you, and I hope we can activate the free will offerings in our life. Lord, I want to praise you just because you've provided. I want to praise you, and I want to offer sacrifices.